Welcome to Oikos. How are y'all doing? Awesome. We are in the final verses of Acts. Isn't that exciting? So we're in chapter 28. We're in the series when in Rome and we're in week three. We're going to be in verses 16 through 31 in chapter 28 of Acts. As we conclude Acts, we'll then go into 2 Timothy next week. Not that we're going to go through the whole book of 2 Timothy, but it's the concluding words of Paul to the churches. And so we want to make sure that we kind of get the conclusion of this whole long series of going through Acts for the last couple years. And then what's coming up is pretty, or I won't say pretty, it's actually very exciting because we'll have several stories each week about life transformation. How many of you have seen the video with Wynn? So if you haven't seen it, it's out on Facebook. We showed it um, last Sunday, and it's an incredible video about transformation. Wynn is actually doing a great work for us right now. He is out filming people so that we can capture their story of how God moved in their life and made either a very large transformation or a small one or a medium one or just where he began to turn them towards him. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be capturing those stories so if you have a story that maybe some of us are not aware that you have personally, um, come up to Jason or myself and just say, hey, I would love to be a candidate for one of those life, life transformation stories because I want to tell you all about how God worked a miracle in me. Um, all of us have a transformation story. Do you all believe you have a transformation story? Yes, you do. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord, then you have been transformed. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have been transformed. In baptism, you are transformed. So if you have been baptized, you have a transformation story. If you've been walking with Jesus and you decided to follow him and instead of deciding to follow your own desires, you have a transformation story. Paul has a transformation story, and this is where we are um, picking up again here today. This is towards the end of his journey. The year that we're talking about is around 60 AD, just to put it in context, around 60 AD. This is when this is all taking place, and it's Acts chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. Remember, he had just arrived on the shores of Italy, or present-day Italy at this time. And he was greeted by all the fellow believers that were already in Rome. And they came to comfort him and give him hope and words of encouragement. And then they travel on in, inland to the city of Rome. This is verse 16. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he is guarded by a soldier. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. So verse 17, just the first part of verse 17, I think it's a great verse for us to just pull back for a second and not just read over it. Paul often calls people together, but I want you to note that in this, he made a choice. If you remember, he was greeted already by the fellow believers of the way, so by his church. So to put that in context, that would have been like, I was in prison, 
I was taken to trial, and I came through the Gulf of Mexico, and I arrived on the Texas shore, and you guys all came down to Galveston and greeted me. And we're like, oh, we're so glad you're back, and we want to give you words of comfort. Let's pray with you. It would have been awesome. And then I travel on in, inland to Houston, and there I make a choice. I can either call you all to continue to come and comfort me, or I can choose to call my enemies and talk to them. The local Jewish leaders were the enemy. He had no idea what they had heard up until this point. Remember, it was the local Jewish leaders that had put him in chains in the first place. Not in Rome, but in another location. And so what normally would happen if you had a trial is that either witnesses or letters from the aggregated people would be sent to the place of the trial. So he had no idea whether those letters had already been sent, whether representation of that case against him, if representatives have already been sent and arrived at Rome. But he chooses to speak to the local Jewish leaders, not to continue to speak of the people of the way. I think it's really interesting because oftentimes when we're in those situations, we can continue to see ourselves as the victim. He'd have every right, right? He's a prisoner. We can see ourselves as a condemned man or woman, a prisoner that has no rights. And so rather than seeing ourselves as someone that is on mission, we instead want to be ministered to. Have you ever felt that way? Rather than being on mission, you'd rather be ministered to? This is one of those times you just raise your hands. Because if you don't think that, you're probably being ministered to. A lot. Because that's kind of our desire. We want to be comforted. We want people to care for us. We don't want to be pushed into areas where maybe it would bring discomfort. But this is what Paul does. He could have just had the church keep coming and bring in potlucks and everything to that house. Never have to cook. But instead he goes, let's call in and let's bring in the people who maybe will try to kill me themselves. So ask yourself this question. When was the last time you took a risk to be on mission rather than to be comforted, comfortable and ministered to? And you kind of have to think about those situations. So to help you think about a situation, the last time you got sick and you were in the hospital, did you think about being on mission or did you think about people caring for you and trying to take away the pain? Think about the last time your car broke down on the highway. Did you think about being on mission or were you waiting for the tow truck to come to hurry up and get you out of there? Think about 
the last time you were in someone's home that you really didn't want to be in? Because they're annoying or you, or it's your in-law. No, my in-laws are coming this next week. It's your in-laws or it's someone that you're just like, oh, do I have to? Do you think about being on mission or you just watch the clock? And when can I get out of this? When was the last time you took a risk to be on mission rather than be comfortable and ministered to? The leadership of Paul teaches us that we're always on mission. Whether you're a prisoner, whether you're in chains, whether you're beat up, whether you're broken, you're always on mission. There's always an opportunity to be on mission. So he takes this risk to call together the local leaders, the Jewish leaders. And the kind of the premise behind this is that he had guards that were chained to him 24-7. And they probably around six guards that would switch out. So always, if you can imagine, always being chained to somebody. But still having the freedom to call people into your house. Still having the freedom to speak. And the commentary that I was reading actually said, those six guards, if they were consistently his guards, what a blessing they had to be chained to Paul, one of the greatest preachers ever, 24-7, for a very long time. Because they heard the gospel message over and over and over and over again. Because Paul saw himself on mission not as a victim. So the second question is, are you willing to invite your enemies to your house to hear about Jesus? Are you willing to invite your enemies? So I want you to take a moment and just picture some of the people that you would describe as your enemies right now. You, they've got to be coming up. These are people that you just feel, if they have a chance to be against you, they are against you. You've never seen them before you. They've never encouraged you. You would say, even with strong language, that they may hate you. Are you willing to invite those enemies into your house and then take a risk even furthermore and tell them about Jesus? This is what Paul does. We continue in verse 17b, second part of verse 17. He said to them, brothers, which I love this language, his own enemies he puts aside. He doesn't say leaders. He doesn't say authority here at Rome. He doesn't call them priests. He doesn't give them any other title, but a, an invitation to be family. He says, brothers, I was arrested in Jer Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and, I, and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. 
But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so that we could get acquainted and so I could begin to explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. So he lays it out right there. The one thing that the Jewish faith would revolve around and really still does today is waiting for the Messiah, the King of Kings, who would come and change the world order once again, bringing faith and hope to the people of Israel that their king is alive and now rules once again. Verse 21, they replied, we've had no letters from Judea or the reports against you from anyone who has come here, but we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. I spoke about this briefly last week. We should never rush to judgment on how we think people will respond. Paul could have very quickly said, they probably already heard from Judea, they probably don't want to hear about this, they probably are angry and ready to kill me. So what's the use of speaking to these people? But instead, he goes right in there and says, I want to tell you about the Messiah who's come. Now, the reason for the delay, they don't really know. Historically, we'd say Paul went through a bunch of storms, if you remember that part of Acts. And so there was a delay for the Judean representatives to come and offer their case against him. Because it was Roman law that if you had a case, you had to have witnesses and represent representation before the court if you're going to prosecute someone. So they were probably on their way, but they hadn't arrived yet. And most likely it was the weather. They were waiting for the weather to calm down. But it was in this that Paul gets a great opportunity. Because instead of being angry and mad at him from the beginning, their hearts are open. Now, how many people do you dismiss already and say, oh, I don't think they really want to hear about Jesus. Again, I want you to just imagine these people, and the reason why I want you to kind of put these faces before you, and probably even better exercise is to then write these names down, is that these are the people I believe the Lord has placed in your life to speak to. With no prior preconceptions about what they're going to say, but just simple sharing who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. Share your story. Think about those people who you've already said, I don't think they want to hear anything more about Jesus. Maybe it's your mother. Or maybe it's your brother who's walked away from the church. Maybe it's your best friend that you, maybe you even went to school in a school like this at Lutheran High North, and you both were assumed to be Christians. But your best friend no longer wants to follow Jesus. In fact, their life doesn't look like it's even close to following Jesus. And you just made the assumption, well, because they heard once, they don't want to hear again. Or maybe it's a new friendship. And they've said, I don't believe in Jesus. So you just decide, 
There's no reason to talk about him then. Have we done that? Have you ever done that? Well, for those of you that haven't done it, I've done it enough for you. You know how many times I've just thought in my brain, and that's just the problem, is that I use my brain and I didn't let the Spirit lead. I thought in my brain, logically, this person doesn't want to hear. Or I remember telling this person like three years ago. <laughs> so they're probably the same person that they were three years ago. I know that's bad logic, but it was my logic. So there's no reason to tell them again. I asked to pray with them, and they said no. So I, you know, why would I continue? What if we took a step back and we followed the example of Paul and we just wiped all that away and said, my mission is just to tell them about Jesus, whether they want to hear it or not. Because that's who I am. I'm a son or a daughter of the king, of the come Messiah, the Messiah who's been here already and will come again. That's the only thing I do, is I make sure that people know I am a son of the king who's already come and will come again. Verse 23, so, so a time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. I'm just gonna do a note that I wasn't planning to speak about, but I think we do this same thing is that we hesitate giving an invitation to people because we're afraid no one will accept it. What if we moved on mission believing that the Lord will supply the people that need to come? That no effort that we do for him is wasted. And sometimes there'll be a large crowd and sometimes it will be one but I'd rather be on mission for one than never on mission. He explained, Paul explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures, using the law of Moses in the books of the prophets. He spoke to them about from morning until evening. So today we're gonna to have a new experiment you're here until evening. <laughs> until I'm solidly convinced that you're all on mission. Who's on mission? See, this is a test. You better raise your hands. <laughs> or we're going to be here for a long time, people. Okay. No, he was there from morning until evening. They didn't look at their watch and try to figure out when the Texans game was. And will they have enough time to get there? They didn't look at their watch and go, I've got better things to do. Because this was about their eternal, eternal, eternal life. This is about the Messiah, and they wanted to hear from Paul. So he tells them about the kingdom of God. And John the Baptist did the same thing. If you remember... While he's making the way for Jesus, he said the same words. This is in Matthew 3, 2. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven 
is near. Now, while he's saying that, Jesus is coming in the background. Repent of your sins. The kingdom of heaven is near. And here comes Jesus. Jesus does the same thing. Chapter 4, Matthew, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins. Turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, Jesus would tell his listeners often what this kingdom of heaven was like, and I think we need to take a little bit of time to do that as well. I don't know if you're like me, but I know growing up in the church, I would hear those words, kingdom of heaven, and pretty much it'd just go like this. I really, I was like, yeah, okay. That'd be something that Jesus would say. But I didn't really think it meant anything to me. It was just a phrase that Jesus would use because he was like this, he would preach, and so he used those preacher terms. Kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, right? How many times a year repent? Repent, repent, repent. So I just thought this was just something you'd say. But there is so much more into that the kingdom of heaven is near, and that's because you have to understand what the kingdom really is to really want it. So he would tell his listeners, Jesus would tell his listeners on several occasions what this kingdom was like as an invitation to come closer. So he'd tell them that this kingdom of God would look like this. It would be a place where there's peace. So with all the stuff going on in Syria and other parts of the world, we were looking at insurance for our new campus at Bethany. And you know what happened in this insurance is that there's this, a chance for us to go without terrorism insurance or to add it. And they strongly suggest that we add it because churches are now a target. It's the world we live in. We don't live in a world of peace. But when Jesus comes near, when the kingdom comes near to you, peace comes. There's an exercise that I'm doing right now in prayer. It's called contemplative prayer. And it's not about what I say to the Lord and that I'm not trying to have him tell me something in particular either. It's just sitting with him. That may sound a little bit weird, or, but you know I'm weird. So what you do in contemplative prayers, you just simply sit with the Lord. And you may say one phrase or you may not say anything. And you just sit in peace. For some of us, we can do that easily. For others, it might be hard because you're, you're a busybody. But what the kingdom of God is, is bringing, ushering in peace into your life. So if you have fragmented relationships where there are no peace, what it means to have the kingdom of God come near is that you start to see a healing in those relationships and peace begins to enter. Where you have enemies that you think will never, ever, ever love you. When the kingdom of God comes near, love begins to grow. It's not something we can do. It's only something Jesus does when he comes near. The kingdom of God brings joy. So if you've had great sadness lately, maybe someone you know has recently passed away, has died. 
Or maybe you found out that the baby you always wanted, that you've been on a list to adopt for years, you'll no longer be able to receive. You're off the list. What the kingdom of God does is bring joy where you think there can be no joy. What the kingdom of God does is in your brokenness, if you've gone through a physical tragedy or an emotional tragedy and you are broken, what the kingdom of God does when Jesus comes near is he makes it whole. And this isn't just a future thing. Because we can get into the idea that, well, that's all great, but guess what? I live today. The promise that we have from Jesus is that his kingdom comes near to us and breaks into our lives even today. Some of you have experienced healing through prayer or experienced someone else being healed through prayer. That's the kingdom of God drawing near. That's Jesus coming in, representing his kingdom, and allowing us to see a glimpse of what is yet to come. You've seen relationships that are on the brink of divorce become the best marriage ever. That's the kingdom of God. That's Jesus drawing near, repairing what is broken, bringing new life to where there was death. I love that the kingdom of God also represents complete contentment. Contentment is something that I have, I think I finally got over, because I haven't been thinking about it that much. But I always thought I needed to be doing something new. Keep on doing something new, because I was never quite content. Well, in the kingdom of God, we find complete contentment. We're not looking for something new. We see that we've already got, we already have received everything we need. And it's a good feeling. So who wants some of that? Yeah. If you're sick right now, you want some kingdom of God. You want some Jesus to draw near and bring healing. If you're in a broken relationship right now, you want the kingdom of God. You want Jesus you want to see Jesus walking close and know that there's something good happening, that he's going to bring something great. This is what Paul was telling the Jewish leaders, that Jesus has already arrived. The kingdom of God is already moving. Are you ready to move with it? But this, is what, this was their response. This is in verse 24. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. So I've spoken quite a bit about what it looks like to be on mission, no matter what circumstance you're in. But guess what? It doesn't always turn out great. So you can be on mission. Maybe you're in the hospital and you go, oh, that, that's right. Pastor Aaron said, I shouldn't be a victim right now. I should be on mission. And the nurse comes in, and instead of worrying about how she's caring for you or he's caring for you, you say, hey, is there anything I can be praying for you right now? 
And they look at you strange and they go, no, and they walk out. Some will respond, others will not. You can have a great party over at your house, plan that you're going to speak about Jesus, invite people to pray. And no one really wants to. Or that's the last time they come to your house. Doesn't always turn out the way we want it to. Some may say that you're really religious. Some may say that you are one of those stupid Christians who uses, I guess, faith rather than logic, rather than the rationale that we've been given. Some, some will believe, but some will not. So if this happened to Paul, I don't think we should think that we'll be treated any differently. Verse 25, and after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. He really kind of hits it to them. This is from Isaiah. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through the Isaiah the prophet, verse 26, go and say to this people, when, I, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that the salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. So does this seem unfair to you? That God would harden the hearts of people? You know the story of Moses and Pharaoh and God hardens the heart of Pharaoh? Does that seem unfair? I wonder if you look at this in a different perspective that God gives a grand invitation to be in his family. He's done this from the beginning of time, to come and be with him. He even gave it to Abraham, that he would be a father of many nations. He left that promise with Israel and said that they should be a hope for all nations. And yet what we see is that people did not want to receive it. Time and time again. The invitation was given and the invitation was rejected. So are you tired of hearing the word of God? Are you tired of being told about who Jesus is and what he's inviting us into? Are you tired of hearing that maybe my life should resemble a little bit more of the kingdom and less of what I want? If you're tired of it, you're, you have the risk of falling into the camp of the Jewish leaders who rejected the message from Paul. 
because it's not a judgment that God goes, you're in and you're not. It's a judgment that I'm inviting you all in. But those of you who decide, I don't want you, Jesus, get out of my life. God will give you what you want. That's hard, right? That's God's judgment. His invitation is be a part of my family, but if you don't want to be a part of the family, I'll give you what you want. Some of us know what it feels like to be in the family and then leave the family. And then come back to the family. And I think those who have been in it and left and then come back, they don't ever want to leave again. We have a great parable of the prodigal son that describes that story. Of knowing what it's like to be in the family, leaving it, and then coming back. God's warning to us is the invitation is there, but if you reject and you reject and you reject, your heart will become hardened. And God will give you what you want. Life without him. So why do we push so hard for us to be on mission? Because I want us to give the invitation to people time and time and time and time again so that they perhaps will at one point accept it. They'll come and be a part of God's family. Something that he's given an opportunity for all of us to be a part of. And that's why we're on mission. Because I don't want people to finally get what they want, which is life without God. That's why I am pesky and persistent. And sometimes I, well, I shouldn't use that word. It's another P word, <laughs> you off. Because I want you to be on mission. It doesn't mean that I'm infallible, but I want us to look with perspectives that God's inviting us into something greater than we already have. God's inviting us to come near to his kingdom that brings peace and hope and love and joy, that releases us from selfishness, releases us from our own cage that we built. It sets us free. And once you have it, I want you to make sure you give it to other people too. That's what Paul did. That's why he traveled all around. That's why we saw all these missionary journeys that eventually ended, in, ended with him coming to Rome and still being on mission even though he is in chains. Verse 30. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him boldly, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. Acts kind of ends, in a sense, kind of disappointingly, because we don't really know what happens to Paul, right? 
We don't know, did he get tried? Did he just die there? What happened? Was he in chains? We don't get it from scripture, but we do get historical evidence. So this is the rest of the story of Paul as we conclude today. He does eventually get free. And for the next about three years, he's able to go and preach and teach about Jesus in the surrounding areas. Until about 64 AD, there's an emperor called Nero who actually was perceived as a great emperor until this date. There was a fire that broke out in Rome, and they say he was like playing his fiddle, so he's like oblivious, and a lot of Rome burned down. So to cover his tracks, he blamed the Christians, which propelled a huge amount of, mar of the killing of the Christians, which was the beginning of the stage of a lot of martyrs for the Christian faith. Peter and Paul were both captured. And around 64 AD, Peter was sentenced to death, and because he was not a Roman citizen, he was sent to be crucified. And according to historical record, which may or may not be accurate, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be killed the same way that Jesus was. Paul, that same year, was captured as well. And this time, rather than being able to be set free, he was taken out. And because he's a Roman citizen, he wasn't crucified. A soldier decapitated him. And that was an honorable death. And that was the end of the story of Paul. This is not all recorded into Acts. We don't get the rest of it. Next week, we're going to hear some of Paul's final words to his leaders, in particular, one that he discipled, Timothy. And it's one of his last words that he speaks, to stay on mission, to teach people about Jesus, to give the invitation to come into family. And I would ask that we do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to go through the book of Acts. It took us two years. Not all of us, not even myself, have heard every message that we gave on Acts. But Lord, we give you thanks that we are able to go through it. I pray that as we conclude this series next week, that we would think about how we can model our lives after the life of Paul who modeled his life after the life of Jesus, who is our Savior and our hope. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to draw near in many ways in our lives. But most importantly, that we would recognize that it's you and your kingdom that brings the healing and the hope and nothing else, so that we can in the future testify of what you have done. Lord, may you bring our stories together May you help us testify of what you're doing in our lives and give us courage to tell those that you have put around us, whether they're friends or they're enemies, Lord, that we would testify of your goodness and give them an invitation to be in the family because it's a good family, Lord, and you are a good father. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.